This is the Course of Action Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Clark. My debut book, Hear These Truths, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Leadership Algorithm, is available now wherever books are sold. Check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and for signed copies, go to jeffclarkofficial.com and get in touch. Don't forget to follow on social media, leave a five-star review for the book, and hit that subscribe button for the latest episode notifications. And as always, enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Course of Action podcast. My guest today is a current Naval Intel officer and counterintelligence and human intelligence, which we're going to get her to define here in a little bit. But she's also the author of three novels and one graphic novel. That's correct. It's A.M. Adair. (laughs) Did I get it right? You absolutely did. Yeah, you don't have to keep doing the A.M. My first name's Ama, which, you know, I get a lot of teasing because my first name and my initials are identical. Um, Oh, yeah. Kind of makes it fun. Yeah, that is. It makes it interesting. (laughs) That's cool. So three graphic no- or three novels and one graphic novel mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to get into those here in a little bit but we're going to talk uh what you're doing now which is you're kind of you're in that transition phase out of the military right I am I am officially on terminal leave so it's nice it, it, it's that much more real to me now it's like when mm-hmm. I cuz I started on Skillbridge and for those who don't know what Skillbridge is uh, the DOD has a program that lets you work in the civilian world while you're still on active duty during the last six months that you're in as a way to kind of ease that transition from, you know, active duty back into the civilian infrastructure. And I cannot give that program enough accolades. It is worth its weight in gold. Um, Cause you think, you know, how you're going to transition back, but uh, until yeah, you, you actually don't. do it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite telling. So, um, I yeah, feel... They didn't have Skillbridge when I transitioned. Well, they, so, they still don't talk about it. it I know. It's, it's weird. a shame. It's You have to learn about it like this. You really exactly. do. You have to get in touch with people. And that's why I maintain a presence on LinkedIn because LinkedIn gives me such a connection to other veterans in the community that know stuff because they're still not talking about Skillbridge like they should. And it's such a fantastic program. You're proof of it. There's a lot of people that are proof of it. And it's such an awesome deal to get the work while on active duty for a company. Granted, it doesn't guarantee a job. However, you get six months of getting your feet wet, having time to do your thing, network, and you're still getting paid. It takes such a huge stress off of everybody's shoulders. I just can't imagine. I wish they would have had it, but I, I've been a big advocate of it ever since I've heard of it. And I, I'm right there with you and I will continue to be an advocate because it is truly amazing and totally worth it. There's no training that can prepare you for this. You just got to do it. Oh yeah. No, it's, I've been out for five years and I'm still learning things. I'm still dealing with things that I didn't think I was going to deal with. And it's just one of those things that, man, the, the TAPS program, all those briefings, all those things, it doesn't teach you the, the street smarts that you need to separate and and take the uniform off. It just doesn't. And um, it's good stuff. I don't want to bash it or anything, but it just doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't give you what you need. It really doesn't. And and it's congressionally mandated. So that tells you 
you know, yep. <laughs> they're checking the box, but whatever. I mean, so, um, so you're in, you're in Scalebridge right now. You're with yep. uh, Deliver Fund, is it? I am. And I'm, uh, even though I'm on terminal leave, I, I'm going to stick with Deliver Fund probably a little while longer. Um, it's, it's been a really good experience with those guys because, you know, their, their mission's incredible. And right now I'm, I'm, I'm free labor for them. So, I mean, I'm, just there to try to help out as much as I can with the time that I have there. And, you know, I'm not getting paid for it. So it's not, you know, it, it's literally, I just do it because I want to at this point. And mm. then huh, one of the things I've learned is that I think I need to take a little bit of a break from having a job where like, it sounds a little dramatic, but the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You know, I would, yeah. I, I want a nine to five for a little bit where, I can leave it behind when I clock out. And that's something I haven't had in the last couple of decades. And while I'm still passionate and I still get, you know, those, you probably know you, you get amped up. You're like, I know I can do this. I know I can do this. And you want to get after it. And then yeah, maybe, maybe it's time for me to let the young guys take over. And I, as much as it's an ego check for me, I've had to come to admit it's, it's time to let the young guys take over. <laughs> it is. It's tough. You know, you see, especially when you see, like, I went right back to work for the government um, when I retired. So I was right there watching the units that I used to interact with. And it was hard to bite my tongue. It was hard to kind of let go. Um, I needed the stability of the government to help me transition. But, you know, I still felt some kind of way about it. And you, you almost missed it more because you're around it so much more. But um, yeah, you know, there's a point and I think I'm getting to that point now where I'm looking for kind of a change, doing something a little different, a little less stress, focus on some other projects that what I want to work on, some passion projects, you know, having some fun and changing the job to more of a nine to five, collecting my paychecks, you know, still being happy about it, you know, still have a passion for it. Just, you know, different priority in life. And I get it. And I, I think a lot of people get to that point eventually. And you know what? I'll, I'll probably come back to it. I'll probably do a 95 and it'll be good. It'll be what I need right now. Then, you know, a year or two down the road, that, that bug's probably going to come right back and I'm going to want to get my hands dirty again and I'm going to throw myself right back into the fray. But it, it, then it'll be, I'll be in a better place, you know, kind of mentally yeah. priorities have shifted a little bit, I'm certain so. It's going to be good. Yeah, well, I mean, my kids are a little older now, so That's they're, a big they're, they're five <laughs> years from all being out of the house and into college. So, you know, I have a lot more time on my hands. I don't have as much stress having to, you know, constantly watch them. And, you know, it, so your your mindset changes a little bit. It gets a little different. And it's all part of the transition. You know, your life changes. And then, of course, you have life change with, you know, leaving the uniform behind. But you know, it is what it is. So deliver fund. Let's talk about that. Um, okay. For those who don't know what deliver fund is, tell them what, what deliver fund does, what their mission is. So deliver fund is a nonprofit uh, private intelligence organization that focuses on human trafficking. And the whole concept of it is to be able to give that Intel analysis piece to law enforcement to be able to enable them. So, you know, we all know that, you know, law enforcement does not have enough manpower, man hours or resources to be able to do everything that they would like to do. So in this case, Deliver Fund's able to, you know, partner up with, you know, departments or, you know, units and help them with 
their projects. So if anybody's looking to take on a human trafficking case, you know, get, you know, to get after that, those kind of networks and bad guys, then, you know, we can assist them with identifying leads, you know, of potential either villains or victims. And so it can lead to both arrests and rescuing, um, which again is extremely rewarding. It's, it's a little dark and disturbing and how much is really out there. But at the end of the day, it really is just about helping, you know, the good guys get a leg up and, you know, there's, there's no vigilante action. There is nothing like that. It is just support. And we let law enforcement do their thing. But you make a, you make a great point, you know, and even before the events of recent years um, has, you know, law enforcement been behind. They've been struggling. They've been undermanned. It's been a tough job to have. And, um, but the, the real things still need to get done. You know, they're keeping bad stuff off the streets every day and it gets harder and harder, especially when you're outnumbered. Could you imagine a police force of 50 officers in a city of 50,000 people? I mean, you're horribly outnumbered, just horribly outnumbered. And, how do you still stop bad things from happening? Cause that's the expectation of the people, even people who maybe don't like you, they still expect you to defend them. Cause that's your job. They might not like you for it. And they certainly don't like you when you're maybe busting them for a speeding ticket or something. But <laughs> you know, the general expectation is your job is to defend me. Why is this bad stuff happening? This is your job. The finger gets pointed, you know, and it's hard to be everywhere one in one time, you know, and they can't, they can't do everything. And then you know, of course you throw politics into it and, and border security and who wants it and who doesn't, who's funding it and who isn't and all that nonsense. Um, it's almost sad that we have to have organizations like deliver fund, but it's also a blessing that we have them. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I've spent, 20 years in the intelligence community. So, you know, and I fully appreciate what it is that they're doing and it it is brilliant. And I think you'll hear a lot of intelligence professionals talk about it where you start off as kind of a jack of all trade, master of none. And that one thing everybody really likes and wants to do is become more specialized because then you can really hone your craft and you can really get good at doing the job, especially if you have one subject matter area. So, you know, part of the beauty of what Deliver Fund did is a lot of those guys, they came from soft and intelligence backgrounds. And so they took what we were doing in the counterintelligence world, um, you know, counterterrorism, and then applied that to doing a counter trafficking. And the methodologies and a lot of the, the way that works mirror up. And it's, it's wonderful. And so, you know, you learn to hunt bad guys doing one thing. And, you know, all those things that you learned, you know, the how they think, how they act, what they're going to look for, you know, centers of gravity, rat lines, all those things that became necessary for a target package downrange, just a different kind of bad guy. They need the same things. You just got to figure out exactly what their specific things are and you build another target package. But in this case, instead of handing it to a bunch of door kickers that, uh, you know, might be wearing a trident or whatever the case may be, you're handing it to somebody with a badge who's going to go in and execute a warrant. So while we're kind of on the subject of it and you brought it up, let's kind of talk about what Intel versus counter Intel and, and that word counter really is. And this is kind of your, your bread and butter, your specialty oh, yeah. here as an, as an <laughs> Intel officer. So for those who don't know, let's break it down in simple terms. What is okay. intelligence? 
Okay, so intelligence, when you're talking about it in the military standpoint or just even the community in general, it's taking data, bits of information, and then fusing them together into what would be called an intelligence product. So um, if you look at it like putting together puzzle pieces and you know, you're trying to figure out what that picture is and anticipate what, pe what pieces you might need, where you're going to find those pieces, what your end picture could look like, and then how you're going to then make recommendations to potentially execute a target, you know, pick up a bad guy, you know, uh, move ships, whatever the case may be you have to have a basis of knowledge to be able to give that to a decision maker. That's what Intel does. Um, Counterintelligence is a very specific niche in underneath that intelligence umbrella. And it's more, a lot more defensive in nature. So it is everything that you do to defend against somebody, well, like me, but for a foreign government. Um, mm. It's so it's, counter espionage it's counter terrorism it's even counter insider threat anything that could be a threat to us to the military to the homeland that's counter intel so um the hard part for a lot, a lot of people with that one is to like say you, you mentioned human intelligence so human is more offensive so that in which case you would want to go and identify a bad guy and you would want to then pick up a bad guy or potentially use a source network to get a bad guy. When counter intel, it's more likely that you're going to, okay, I identified bad guy or used a source to identify bad guy. Now I want to leave bad guy in place because I want to figure out who bad guy works for. I want to map out his entire network or okay, I want okay. to feed him bad information that then now he's going to have to feed back to his network. So you know, human intelligence, I like to say, is, is like playing chess. Counterintelligence yeah, exactly. is like it. Counterintelligence is three chess blindfolded. So it's um, okay. okay. It's a lot more. You have to have a lot more patience, a lot more strategy. And there's a lot more nuance. But at the end of the day, it is about protecting. And then human intelligence is about getting after it. It's go after, get the bad guy. Go, 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 go. So um, that's the easiest way to distinguish between the two. So it's kind of the difference of playing between playing like just defense and playing offense and defense. Essentially, essentially. Okay. It's like, cause you do have to defend it. Like I have to think about, you know, okay, so let's, let's, let's play with the cold war, you know, our Russian counterparts. We all grew up watching James Bond. We, yeah. that's Probably the best crap to us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but some, you know, some KGB guys, you know, trying to pick up information on us, it would be my job not only to make his life harder and protect us, but then also potentially feed him things or make him believe something that isn't real. To, okay. to, to, you, because, to yep, kind of start then, steering him how you want him. Yep, because okay, then he's going to okay. take all that information and give it back to all the rest of the Intel guys. They're going to fuse it together in their product, and they're going to hand it to their decision maker, who now is going to make a decision on bad information. Um, mm, okay, but what's it? So let me ask this though. So that's your job, but it's also probably being done to you. Yep. How do you sniff that out? How do you? How does that factor into decision making? Knowing it, it very well could be being done to you while you're trying to do it to someone else. That is one of the uh, most closely held adages that we have is that there is no such thing as a friendly Intel service. Mm -hmm. Everybody's collecting all the time. You have to assume it. And, you know, for many, many years, like most of us live that way. So 
Um, I made a joke of it just a, a few days ago. It was like for the last couple of decades, I didn't even put any stickers on my car because I did. I wanted to be nondescript. I didn't want anybody being able to easily identify me. You know, my clothes were, you know, all kind of neutral, you know, just all blend into the background. And now that I'm on terminal leave, I put stickers on my car for like the first time. It was just like, <laughs> it was my own little act of rebellion. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, I know for a fact I was being collected on. I can unequivocally say I, it, it happened. I know that there are target packages out there on me. I know there are dossiers out there on me and it's just part of the job. Um, you work very, very hard to avoid that. But in this day and age, it's almost impossible, uh, especially in the military, because, you know, you have to go as military. You know, I'm mm -hmm. not hiding that I'm military. Um, so it, it's it, it's pretty easy for my movements to be tracked. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> yeah, I tell my kids to be quiet and this is what happens anyway. <laughs> so, I get it. My husband actually took my my son for a ride because there was no way he was going to be quiet. <laughs> So, um, dang, I forgot what I was going to ask you. It was good too. <laughs> Sorry. Um, dang. So, um, let's do this while we're talking about Intel. Um, what's it like really to put together something that, you know, could lead to, um, probably maybe a serious conflict, es an escalation, you know, um, there's a bit of stress to that, I'm sure, knowing your package could lead a four-star to make a decision on something that could put your fellow, you know, fellow veterans, fellow man in harm's way. Now, I know there's a we all trust each other. There's a bit of trust there, knowing yeah, if I put them there, I know they're they're gonna handle their job, they're good at their job. Casualties are inevitable though. So how does that kind of weigh on your mind when you're doing some of those things, knowing that's a possibility? Truthfully, um, you never get used to it. You mm. kind of numb yourself to it. But anytime an op's going on, especially an op that you were a big hand in, that you were preparing to go out the, the preparing them to go out the door, you're glued to the ISR. You are glued to comms. You are, you know, it, you are literally on pins and needles. Like even if the facade is completely calm, you're on your own pins and needles. Um, yeah, the, there's nothing worse in this world than hearing, you know, somebody come over the radio and say, tick, tick, tick. And, and you know, it, like you can hear a pin drop, you know, everybody's just guts drop to the, the bottom of their stomachs. And, you know, luckily, you know, everybody's a professional and you pick up and you go and you, you, you work through all your pre-planned responses, but at the same time, there's always that thing in the back of your mind. And then the only way that you can really get past it is to do the due diligence. You know, you don't put together crap. You don't give out crap. And you, you, don't, um, you, don't, you don't add fluff. If you don't know something, you don't make it up. you you got to be completely honest about it. Because if you send somebody out with bad intel, that's on you. Yeah. So... Knowing that and having seen um, a little bit of it of an action, I'm not an Intel guy, but I've seen, you know, a handful of things. Um, how real do movies get it? <laughs> well, like, it really depends. <laughs> how, how it's glamorized. I know it, it is. is. It but is. 
how real is it? Like, have you ever watched anything that you were like, okay, that was close? There's been a few things that we were like, oh, oh, okay. Somebody actually had some really good, you know, consultants come in on this. And that, that's usually just with tactics when you see them like doing clear, like clearing houses or sites. And you're like, oh, somebody actually did a good job. Hell, I just get excited when somebody actually does a mag change correctly and they don't just have like the, the endless bullets um, but you right. see, <laughs> you see any yeah. good tactics, you get excited, but I mean, for the most part, um, most movies are the kind of the one in the million with, there are some exceptions. There are some, um, elements out there, let's say who get to do those one in a million more often than others. But if you are, you know, conventional forces or what we would call white soft and, you know, that's. There's a lot more dry holes than there are touchdowns. So there's, um, for, I, I would say if you added in some frustration of kicking in the door and having nobody there to about every, like maybe every two or three times, and then you have something actually happen, that'd be a little bit more realistic. Yeah, I've had some friends that were in the army and they were in the heat of Afghanistan and Iraq and especially Iraq and they're kicking in doors and they're like, you know what, some days it's it's like going fishing and getting mm -hmm. skunked and just drowning worms. He's like, then other days, you know, you got a lot of action. He's like, so sometimes you don't ever get a chance to relax. He's like, you know, in the movies, of course, make it sound like, oh, let's kick in the door. Boom, breach, go, oh, guys, next house. Well, you know, circle around back, you know, and all that. And it's 15 minutes of you know, er, now everybody's in flex cuffs and, you know, and it's like, hey, this was a good day in, in, in 15 <laughs> minutes of the movie. You're like, okay. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that if you breached one house, the house three doors down is probably going to hear one and two. They're not going to be there when you show up. So yeah. you kind of wonder how well the movies get it but it, of course you have to do the movie magic because it would be boring if they did you know two houses and then yeah. three in a row were empty <laughs> yeah. and that's exactly it and you know I, I give a lot of latitude to the movies i'm not one of those people who unless it's egregious if it's egregious and actually pulls me out of the story then it's a problem but if it's just mm -hmm. kind of you know hollywood-esque it doesn't bother me that much because i expect to be entertained if i wanted to watch something that was real i'd watch a documentary okay yeah, so yeah. you're I, like I, me you're yep. a lot like me i watch movies to be entertained yes. um when i was on active duty the uniforms kind of bothered me sometimes if i saw <laughs> something blatantly out of place yep. i, I kind of learned to let that go and i was just more about entertainment you know that's what I like. I know some friends that, you know, like to analyze stuff and they just go, Hollywood never gets it right. Like, mm -hmm. well, dude, the army's like 200 something years old. They're never going to get everything right. <laughs> I mean, the Navy SEAL has been around forever. So is intelligence. Like it's, they're not going to get it right. Cause getting it right. It, frankly, is probably a little boring when it comes to an action movie. Yeah, nobody so, would want to watch well, it. Yeah, I mean, let's call it like it is, you know? So, um, but I'm always curious to hear that um, from I ask a lot of military members that, you know, what did they get your job right? Does Hollywood get your job right? How do you feel that the, you know, the world portrays, you know, the job and, and the uniform and, you know, you get those mixed signals and a lot of people go, you know, you know, sometimes it's not that awesome. <laughs> but, it, no. you know, you have those days. Well, I mean, when you're 
military intelligence, I mean, you're essentially the butt of most jokes. And, you know, I, I get it. I get it. You know, the intel community in general usually ends up with egg on face quite a bit. And, and that's, that's the hard part about it because you can't, when we do our jobs, nothing happens. Nothing. It's quiet. There's no, there's nothing tangible okay. to show like, Hey, never thought about it, like job. That. Um, it. Or a bunch of seals go and kick in the door. So they're like, Hey, look, the seals did something awesome. Nobody says, well, Hey, Intel, you did something awesome. It's the seals did something awesome. You only talk about Intel when they do something wrong. So yeah, say like if we, yeah, you thwart a hundred attacks, what's that look like? It looks like nothing. So, you know, how do you, how do you justify your existence? How does that end up, you know, getting conveyed in movies? Um, yeah. I do like how in zero dark 30, they really focused on the Intel and they focused on the analyst and, and getting to that point. And of course the raid was cool. You know, the way they did it and, and, and you know, Osama's compound, but I thought it was cool how they focused on the intel and how it was the dilemma. To me, that felt a little more real. Like, okay, there are times where you have to go with your gut, and there's a lot of decision makers, you know. Yep. And and to make that happen and be successful, granted, you know, a certain community got a lot of credit for it, but the people mm -hmm. behind the scenes, you know, really did their job and and gave them you know opportunity to do what they do really really well and. I thought that was really cool how they focused on that, um, on the intel, because they could have focused on the action. They could have done a whole backstory, and the intel was just kind of a little trickle along the way. The movie was about the intel. I say like, I'll have to, you know, take your word for it because I actually haven't watched it for mm. one reason. Um, it was like I did. I read the book, the the triple agent that the movie's kind of based around, and then of course all the actual accounts but um jeremy wise was a good friend of mine and oh really um just knowing that that scene is in there um mm -hmm. I, I haven't been able Tough. to bring myself to watch it so i I, I, I have no doubt it's a perfect movie um but it was hard enough for me to read that book because mm -hmm. i really it was killing me to know how that happened and mm -hmm. i i am not a crier and this is something you know eric bishop and i have actually battled about a little bit but I'm not an overly emotion, emotional person, but um, it's, it still chokes me up just thinking about reading the book and everything that happened after. So, yeah, I imagine so. It, that's I the other thing. So. It's like military movies, they feel different with things yeah. like that. They feel very sure. different. So. I'm sure it hits a little closer to home. I'm sure. So let's uh, let's switch it up for a little bit then. Okay. Let's ask. Let me. Let's go into this. <laughs> Your experience in Intel has led you into working with the Liver Fund. You've also mm -hmm. wrote three books and one graphic mm -hmm. novel. Um, before we talk about the books, let's talk about this. How did Intel for you change over a 21-year career? Because I'm thinking about it, it's 2022, which means you, mm -hmm. you joined around 2000. And that was before the iPhone. That was before <laughs> slim laptops. Not to date you or anything. I'm not trying to call you out. But a lot has changed. A lot has changed. It's it's funny you say that because we were trying to explain that to my daughter who's going to be 10 just here soon. So yeah. she, was, she was so confused that my husband and I weren't around when they were like 
cell phones and like like yeah. not everybody had a laptop and everything yeah. like that and like we were trying to explain how the telephones were attached to the wall and she's mm-hmm. just like wait a minute do you you mean like a telegraph and i was like oh my god how old do you think we are no our tvs weren't <laughs> our on, tvs man. were not flat they didn't hang on the wall like if you walked into somebody's house and they had a big screen tv mounted kind of like in a television cabinet they had money they're like, oh, oh you're yep. doing good it was a big like, deal <laughs> Now everybody has a flat screen mounted on a wall, no matter what their house looks like from the curb, you know? So it's just, it's funny. My kid said something to me the other day. I can't remember what it was, but it was something along the lines of that. And I was like, I kind of looked at him like he was stupid. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, but, and then it clicked. Oh, he doesn't know anything different. He grew up only knowing this. Whereas I, I had to transition from it. And I, then I felt like the dummy. Cause I was looking at him like he was an idiot. Like, why are you asking me that? That's such a stupid question. And then it dawned on me. I was like, actually I'm in the wrong because I just assumed like, and it's just so much has changed. The world has changed so much in 21 years. Technology has just exploded. How did that, how did that change how you did your job? Massively, actually. Um, I remember going through school to learn my trade, like initially, and I didn't even know how to type at that point. But I mean, we were still like PowerPoint was the new hotness. It was the new thing. And, you know, we were still learning how to do map overlays, like on a projector. And um, so technology was starting to get there, but it's nowhere where close where it is now. So like just learning how to do a, a brief using PowerPoint was huge high tech. Like now I'm like a ninja. I could put out PowerPoint in no time. Oh um, boy, didn't that get out of hand? Oh, oh, yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> Death by PowerPoint, everybody. Here we go. Um, oh man. But then, you know, all those technology things, you know, everything became both a pro and a con because, you know, some of it made our lives easier, but then if it made our lives easier, chances are it made the bad guys' lives easier too. And so that you constantly are adjusting tactics. And one of the things I've seen over the years, and of course, anything that's very large, like government, military, it's slow to change. Um, And sometimes you have to have Things happen for anybody to enact change. But generally speaking, Intel tends to be at the forefront of saying, hey, this is a thing. We need to start looking at this. It might take everybody a while to catch up, but, you know, proof of of concept. You know, um, we never stopped looking at Russia. Never once. As like, because, you know, as an Intel guy, you're looking at who the really great intelligence apparatuses are around the world it doesn't matter if they are adversary or ally if you're good if you're good at your job we're paying attention to you what what are your tactics what are you interested in that's something you're always looking at so uh you know everybody's talked in the news you know a lot here lately about the shift in focus you know but there it might have been a shift in focus politically it might have been a shift in focus you know operationally but it wasn't a shift in focus for the intel community we were already looking at it yeah, um, I'm not an Intel guy or, or from special operations or anything like that, but I've always been a student of it. I've kind of watched it closely, always wanted to learn more about it. And it seems like like just what you said, the things that made our job easier also made it easier for someone else. It also mm-hmm. put us at risk that the minute we quit putting as so much Intel and important things on paper and started digitizing them, convenient, 
it opens you up to new vulnerabilities. And now, you know, in the last 20 years, you know, cyber command and, and cyber ops and all that cyber intelligence and all that has really exploded. Mm -hmm. And how did that kind of in the last, like, let's say five to seven years, how did that really change your job? Oh, okay. So the biggest thing that any of us have seen, and you know, there's, it, it does kind of delve into the realm of science fiction, but it is science fact. We know there's efforts for people to have, you know, artificial intelligence. Everyone talks about big data analytics, you know, people being able to do machine learning. That's a thing. And, you know, um, nobody thinks about how much of your life is on your digital footprint. So how right. much, how much of every detail of our world is available in a digital format. So it's almost scary. Like I'm looking at my phone now and, you know, you can pull up like a Google maps and it can track like the last locations you've been at, mm -hmm. you know, you can go online and look up somebody's phone number and trace it back to them you yeah. know the digital you know footprint like you said the, you almost have a it's digital huge. resume and it makes you wonder like what all is out there that maybe i don't know about you if know? you haven't googled yourself i highly recommend doing that just so that way you know it's almost like scary it like is. what the heck could the world actually have on me not that I'm guilty of anything, but what what are they collecting on me that I don't want them to? I that that's another thing that I mean, essentially anything that goes out over the airwaves, like this is on the this is online. This this is going to be things that's going to be captured by some server somewhere. Now, if that server is owned by somebody who then sells that information to a third party, you know, it's it is, it's a massive amount of data. And so up until this point, you know, nobody really, it literally is a needle in a haystack that is extra. Like I can't even come up with the amount of, you know, zeros and ones behind it. But um, now that you have the ability to add in artificial intelligence capabilities, you know, they have the ability to get through that data a lot faster and to pull out those little bits and nuggets that then somebody like me could then sit around and go, okay, that's of interest. That's of interest. That's crap. That's crap. Ooh, grab that. But instead of, you know, trying to figure it out all ourselves, you're assisted by having things that are brought into you. So all those data points are coming in from everywhere and everything you do. Um, like biometrics. That's another thing. It's yeah. like, it's everywhere. And so that makes it very difficult, especially when you're talking about clandestine operations. How do you do really anything yeah so again going back to what makes your job easier can also make it more difficult you know mm -hmm. we went from having a passcode on a phone to swiping to a fingerprint to now it's a face id the, the face opens up the phone it also opens up certain apps on the phone like you could for all purposes be lying there dead and somebody could hold your phone over your face and then have access to your entire world and it sounds awesome. Movies did actually, it for decades. It's, 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 actually, it's in my book. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, horribly scary, though, what it could do in the wrong Why? hands, you know, and that's very, very creepy. So let's talk about how that kind of plays into your books. 
Um, you use a lot of your experience. It's very clear if you read your bio and then you read your books. Um, it's very clear. And I'm not saying that in an insulting way. I'm saying it in a way of it's obvious that you know what you're talking about and a lot of thought has gone into it. And I appreciate that. <laughs> and to me, it was very evident. It was very evident. And I think that's very cool because, you know, I, I read a lot of thrillers. I'm trying to work on one myself. Um, and you read who it is and you find out what they've done. And then you go, okay, I kind of expect some things, you know? Um, so to kind of know it's, it's a little refreshing in a way. You know, you get a lot of Navy SEALs, a lot of Rangers and nothing against those guys. Love them all. Um, And they write books and they write books about what they know. And it's cool to see someone else write about what they know um, in a manner that is still very right on target, right? Bullseye. And I want to give up any spoilers because I want people to go buy your books. Um, (laughs) But um, I really like the character. It's L. Anderson, right? Correct. Okay. Um, where did where did L. Anderson come from? <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I've told the story a few times, so I'm going to not try to rehash things that I've already said a bunch. But I I had an incident uh, in Baghdad where it was I was in the convoy and we had one of those hair raising moments, like those something's going to go wrong. You just feel it. You, you felt it in the air. And luckily it didn't, but that got my brain spinning. Like instantly, you know, my brain was like, okay, well, what if, what if, what if? And that kind of led me down a rabbit hole. Like this movie scene was playing out in my head. Mm-hmm. Of course, at the time I was thinking, what would happen to me if this happened? Um, and then that scene just kept playing and playing. And eventually that became what I centered my, my first book around. It was like just that scene. And I started playing with it. And I said, okay, if I were free to react any way that I would want to, what kind of character would I want to be? What kind of person would I want to be? And that's how I came up with the kind of the concept of Ella Anderson. She wasn't named Ella Anderson at the time. Her, her name actually changed, but, um, it evolved from there and evolved from the character into, okay, well, if I have this great character, you know, who would I want to have supporting her? And then, okay, if we, if I were here, you know, taking on terrorism, which of course we were at the time, you know, how would I want to approach it? So that's how I kind of like, that's how it all happened. It was, a, it was a very creative outlet, but a lot of it was based in, you know, my own personal experiences and the, the characters and are kind of a, a mashup of a bunch of different traits from the people that I were, I was fortunate enough to serve with, you know, even some of the bad guys are modeled after people that I may or may not come across. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I guess just kind of ran with it. And for years, you know, I, I stutter stepped with the idea of, you know, writing a book and it just never worked. Um, it wasn't until I started playing with this and just let the characters actually be the characters instead of trying to force it where I wanted it to go. I just, let the characters take over. And I know that sounds weird, but right on. It's, it's a difficult concept for, you know, somebody who doesn't write to understand. Um, But once that happened, then it became fun. It became an adventure, like sitting down at, at, you know, to write, it was just like, okay, what's going to happen next? And um, it it was rough. My first book was rough. The first draft was rough, but my, uh, my manager, my literary manager took a chance on me and then he hooked me up with my editor and 
she's brutal and evil and God, I love her because she's wonderful. Um, she's, she's taught me a lot. And so through each of the books, I've, I have gotten better. And, you know, I, I actually have something tangible for that. Cause when I did shadow war, you know, book three, when I sent her my first copy, you know, I was braced for impact. I was like, when it comes back, it's going to be bleeding red and it's, she's going to cut like 20,000 words out of it. I think she cut like 500. And I was just like, yes. It was like, I threw like a party and then she's like, no, I need you to add detail here. I'm like, wait a minute. Did you just tell me to add? <laughs> it's like, I was excited. It's like, well, hey, that's what, pretty good. Huh? You know, for well, it was probably what close to 90,000 words. I actually uh, want to say it is around 80. Um, okay. But we did trim it down again because she asked me to add and then we explored some more things. And then, of course, with the thriller, you know, you do you do tend to sacrifice detail for flow. So, you know, that's yep. that's what happened. Um, there were a lot of things like detail wise that I can't put in. Um, they asked me repeatedly, like, hey, could you do go into more detail? And Yes, but then I also know I have to get it screened by the Pentagon, and there's no way. Yeah, you'll get that little black real. line going through the words like Jack yep. Carr did, yep. and I think if you give them the opportunity to look at it, they're gonna they're gonna mark out more than they really probably should, yep. as as Jack Carr knows all too well. Um, he made it very public how upset he was about one of his, I think it was yep. Savage Son that it, they did that to him on. That's a lot they took and out. And they just, it looked like somebody just went to a Sharpie with half the book. And I was like, wow, wow. Like, uh, I have a theory about it. I really do think it has to do with what you actually did. So because he was a SEAL, he's talking about a SEAL. Even if it's stuff that's public record, by him saying it, it gives it a little bit more oomph and credence behind it and i think that's why they're so shy about it this is just a theory but i also think that's why i have an easier time because one i'm pretty good at writing for release just part of my job but i'm also writing a character that was cia i was never cia so there's this mm -hmm. whole latitude of creative you know juices i could utilize because i was never actually in the cia so i have plausible deniability <laughs> there you go that's that's smart so Female protagonist, mm -hmm. female author. Mm -hmm. Did you ever sit there and wonder, because the spy military thriller genre is very male heavy. A lot of male characters, a lot of male authors, mm -hmm. um, a lot of male readers too, for all intents and purposes. Um, did you ever sit there and go, ooh, it's already going to be kind of tough for me as a female author breaking in and I'm stacking the deck with a female protagonist. Did you ever question it or did you, what was your thoughts behind that? So truthfully, I wanted something to be out there that potentially my daughter could read in years to come. I mean, I'm, I'm not letting her read my books now, not <laughs> like Maybe much, much later, but <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I grew up wanting to be either Indiana Jones or James Bond. Those were my heroes growing up. I did not mm -hmm. have a female action hero. I didn't have anybody really that I could gravitate towards. You know, I mean, there were some comic booky stuff and there were some superheroes, but nothing real. Um, mm -hmm. or, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted that and I really wanted to try to do it justice. Um, and I didn't want to do the damsel in distress. I like one, I hate that with a passion, but, um, again, I wanted something that 
like women could identify with who weren't into romance novels because there are some of us out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure, it's a huge genre. I mean, it's a massive genre. Yeah, all of all of that to say, I mean, I did it did cross my mind because I used my initials instead of my first name because I didn't want anybody to be immediately turned off by a female author and a female protagonist. Um, so that. I mean, it does look nice on the cover as well. So aesthetics played a factor. But my first thought was I did not want anybody just to look at the cover and go, a chick wrote that. Yeah, I'm not interested. Mm. So, and and you know, I can't say I blame them. It's like I'm. Yeah, I, I'm more of a I like I like a good story. And I like that's a great good story. A good concept. Um, I'm not as concerned about who the author is because there's a handful of authors I don't follow on social media and it's because they use their platform to speak about some of their personal beliefs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily agree with them. Um, I don't follow them because I don't want to, I don't want to really hear about it. Um, I kind of want to know them as the author. Now they have all rights to say, just like you do and everybody else does. Mm-hmm. You have all rights to say whatever you want to on your social media platform. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. But um, for me, I like to be as a student of it and as a reader of it who likes to be entertained. I want the story. I don't care who you are. I don't care. I care about your background because it could lead lend a lot of credibility to the writing, to the story. It could kind of make it a little bit you know, more exciting, but I'm not worried about it. I think that if you put a female in a lot of the roles that have been filled by males in some of these books, they'd be just as good. I really do. Um, so I think it's, for me, it's really nice. It's refreshing to see the genre um, kind of expand. It's, it's nice to see someone um, like you issue, you know, you're on your third book. I mean, third book and a graphic mm-hmm. novel. Some people are lucky. Like I feel lucky just to do one book. I mean, I got my <laughs> leadership book out now, now and I'm like, this, this could be it guys. I could be milking this cow for a while, you know, <laughs> because I don't know if it's going to come again. You're on three with a graphic novel and hopefully working on a fourth. I am. So that's a big, that's a big, big deal. I think to the genre that I don't think maybe gets spoken about enough um, of the dynamics of it. I mean, what has been, what has your been your reception so far? It's been phenomenal. Um, it's like I've gotten a, a lot of support, obviously from my military friends and family and my own personal family, but Beyond that, and I think you've experienced this too, is like the thriller author community is amazing. Um, Whether you're going to Thriller Fest or whether you're just, you know, kind of in the social media circle, the support for everybody is incredible. And I think most people do feel like you do. They, They want the good story. There's no real competition amongst the authors because you know, you're going to go through that book and then what, you're just going to sit around and say, I'm not reading anybody else's stuff because I only read this one author. No. And I think everybody recognizes that we all are consumers of our genre as well. We want more material. So we're rooting mm-hmm. each other on yeah. um, that. It can make us all better. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, I, ref- I referenced Eric earlier, you know, Eric's killing me in his next book. And I, we had maybe a little bit of trash talking where he claimed that I would be so emotional over my death scene. 
because it was so epic that I would I would shed a tear. And as I said earlier, I, I don't cry very easily. So there might be something in the future where I might have to cold read that just to, you know, see if I have to eat my words. But <laughs> it, it, like that, that kind of thing, it, it drive it. It's fun. Uh, I, I think it probably made him bring his A game a little bit more because now he's going to want to see me fail. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and if I fail, you know, I will, I will absolutely happily eat my words because that, that'll be some seriously great writing. Right. Yeah. I, I might figure out revenge tactics though, but I mean, that's, that's for another day. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I talked to him the other day. I talked to him often. Um, I mean, him just kind of vent about stuff. Um, mm. We talk about writing and he's been a huge supporter of, of my book, even though I'm in the nonfiction drama with the leadership. I've told him how, you know, my story of wanting to do a novel, but I felt doing something um, necessary was what I needed to do before I did something fun. And me and him have just, We've stayed in touch. We're, we're going to go to BoucherCon uh, this year together and uh, really excited about that. Um, it has been a very welcoming community. I really was surprised. I thought being an author would be super competitive. I thought some of the other people would look at it and go, hmm, fresh meat, your competition. What are you you trying to steal from me? What are you trying to do? Because this is all about sales. And I've been humbled that at least in the fiction side i haven't really experienced much in the non-fiction side yet but on the fiction side just talking to people and talking to them and then be like hey man good luck with your story i really like the concept you know like i never felt i never heard anybody be like you know what that's a horrible idea i would not publish that if I, was <laughs> I would not give that out to anybody nobody has flat out told me that so i think that's a kind of a testament to the community it's not it's not what people thought it was. It's not this cutthroat thing. Brad Thor is not at the top with a gavel, you know, <laughs> slamming it down, endorsing certain people. Like, yeah, yeah, Jack Carr <laughs> and Andrews and Wilson, all those guys, they're good dudes. They're not up they're there at the amazing. top. <laughs> they're amazing. They're yeah. amazing. But no, you're absolutely right. I, I've heard other communities are not like the thriller community. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, again, that's why I'm really happy with my genre is like, not only do I love reading it, but everybody in it thus far has been incredible. So let's, uh, we can't, we can't wrap this up without talking about the books. I'll be um, quick. We've talk, talked a little bit about <laughs> them, but let's really talk about uh, the last one, which okay. is shadow war. The third. I see you have book. it up there. It's like, right. I got it right here. So that without, I don't want to give away any spoilers. But okay. this one is kind of, you see Elle, I would say, in a more mature of a scenario. She's kind of taken things a little bit more into her own hands, and she's really on a purpose from, like, page one. And how did, I know the answer to this, but I want you to kind of say it out loud. How did you come up with the concept for this book without, the human traffic can be, how did you come up with that without giving it away? That piece, actually, um, truthfully, I had been, I'd already been supporting Deliver Fund and I had seen some of the stuff that they had put out and that got me thinking, okay, if I were to go up against this, you know, network, what all would this network be in, into as a money-making mechanism? And that led me down that path. And when I drafted the first, um, the first, um, 
version, you know, in my first uh, draft, I sent it off to Mike Foley Love, who's the chief operations over at Deliver Fund, because I wanted to make sure that it was real, that it, I got all the details right, and that you know I was hitting the right high notes. And you know, he gave me some feedback. He gave me some more, you know, uh, literature, so that way I could tweak it a little bit. But you know, that's that's how that got started. And because I, it's like. Mike and I were in the teams together way back in the day. Um, Sal Hernandez, who, you know, also is like their director of U.S. operations, I believe is what his official title is now. But he, he worked for me once upon a time. So it's so surreal. Um, yeah. But that was just a buddy, buddy hookup type of thing. And then next thing I know, you know, Mike was calling me. He's like, hey, have you heard of Skillbridge? Yeah, I've heard of it. He's like, are you going to do one? So see how that all came full circle. Um, I, do. I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I'm reading through it. And I read it. Through, I read, uh, I kind of started backwards. Um, I've had your books on my to read list. And then when I reached out to you, I was like, well, I got to read, I got to read at least one of them. So I said, I'll start with the most current one. And I, I read it in like three days. Um, and I was like, okay, I know where. I know where she got this idea from. I, I hope I'm right, but I feel like I knew where you got it from. And I think that's really cool. Um, it's like, it's I know always... about it because I was supporting Mike. You know, you, you yeah. do that. He was a teammate and you, you want to see your teammates succeed even when they're out. So when he did that, we were all rooting for him. So it's just funny how these things kind of make their way to back together. Yeah. So you got three books out. You yep. got a graphic novel. Um Shadow War just came out in March. Shadow Game, there's the first one. Um, when what, what's going on with the fourth one? Are we getting a fourth one? Where's it in development? It is in development. So I have started writing the fourth one, and I have a you know kind of like I did before. I have scenes in my head. I have a game plan for what I want to see this one become, and. I'm very excited about it, but because I am about to move, like I just went on terminal leave. I mean, this is our lives are about to upend. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably not going to be until next year that I get it out, but there will be a fourth book and it's going to be in the same world with the characters that hopefully everybody has come to know and love. Um, but it's going to be a very different story and we're going to get some different perspectives this okay. time. Okay. So, and if you if you've read the end you know, of Shadow War, you know, at the end, you know, whose perspectives you're probably going to get. Yes, I love <laughs> I love the ending. I was like, oh, oh, OK, OK. I like a good ending that makes me go. Mm, you got me there. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like the ending. I'll okay. leave that. I don't want to say yes. anything. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. Spoiler. I like a good cliffhanger, but not so much that made me go. Well, but what the. What now? Like, yeah. it's like, like in the blood. Please tell me you're going to say in the blood because I got to the end of in the blood and I wanted to scream. And I, 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 I almost threw it across the room. Oh, and then I feel like since we were talking to AI earlier, I should say good day, Alice. Um, yes. But, um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I'm so excited for it, but at the same time, I'm like, how am I supposed to wait? This, no. I know, and it, and I read it like the first week it was out. And then oh. I thought about it and I said, I have to wait another year for this. <laughs> but we got the series and like, again, this kind of goes sure. back to how supportive we all are of each other. You know, instead of it being like, well, everybody should be reading my book. I'm just like, when's the next Jack Carr come out? <laughs> oh, but doesn't, uh, like that. but doesn't the gray man look good? 
I can't wait. Oh, That's the best part is I, I, I was late to the party on Mark Greeny. So I'm going through all the court gentry right now. So that's something else that will help tide me over. So, so I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, when I first read the gray man, I didn't like it. Really? I, I didn't. And I was like, I just, I didn't like, I, I, I read it as a reader before I was more of a fan. So I read it almost skeptical. So, and I just, I didn't like the writing. And then when he wrote Sierra six earlier this year, I just, the cover looked so awesome. I was like, I'm going to try this again. And, but now I've been a student of, of the novels of, of thrillers. And I've been Mm -hmm. going back and rereading Brad Thor and the terminal list and Clancy's. And I've been studying how they wrote certain things in there. So I went, I read that when my, I kept that in mind when I read Sierra six. So then I went back and reread the gray man and I have like this entirely new appreciation for it. Like I underestimated it big time. And, and the whole court gentry thing is just, it's absolutely amazing. And I have a different appreciation for it. Hopefully I'll meet Mark Greeny one day and I can say that to his face. I can tell him and apologize to him. Like I'm sorry <laughs> because I really, I really didn't appreciate you. Like I should have. And now like I'm all in. So, um, I love the gray man. I think the movie looks amazing. Yep. Um, I'm pumped for him and Jack having their things come out like this. Um, I hope we get, yeah, I hope this is awesome. a, I hope this is just a little bit of what's to come. Because I, I there's completely so many agree. good stories. I hope that I completely agree. They just start getting snatched up. I really do because uh, it's going to be good stuff. It really is. And um, let me ask you this one question. Okay. Who would play? L. Anderson, if Amazon came knocking tomorrow, Alicia Vikander. Okay. So yeah, she's been in a bunch of things like uh, like Tomb Raider is what pops into my head immediately. Is like okay. she, like that. Yep, love her. I had her in my head a lot. That you know, a little bit of Angelina Jolie, Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of meshed in there too. But I can see it. Yeah, that's a little bit more in book two, which you, you'll you'll appreciate when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> okay well before we go tell everybody where they can find out more about you and find the books so i i do have a website amadare.com uh, all my social media that is linked there so it's very easy to find i try to keep update on events podcasts all my books you can order signed editions from me so you don't have to go through amazon as a matter of fact if you want the graphic novel highly recommend you get it from me much cheaper and you get it signed and then um, I am on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as A.M. Adair, and I am very easily searchable. Like, awesome. same picture. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you taking out the time, uh, talking Intel with me because I'm, I don't know it, um, and, and talking about your books and how you've really kind of put your experience into that. I think it's really awesome. It's very refreshing. And uh, man, I kudos you on all your, all your success you've had. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And thanks for having me.